reaching people. Last week I talked about pursuing God. And uh, to, to realize that, that, that really the two go hand in hand. Uh, this is something that I've been seeing, it seems to me, be a lot more over the last few years than, than ever. And I don't know if it's just, just me or the way I'm perceiving this, but it just seems to me that there's more of a, um, of, and I'm saying specifically in America, there's more of a lack of hope. There's kind of a lostness that's, that seems to be stronger than, than normal. Uh, there is a, um, and, I, and I attribute some of this to, I think there is actual intentional uh, coercion when it comes to this mentality. Washington seems to be very intent on dividing people and putting this group against this group and, and, and making sure that happens. There are people that have made a living out of people hating each other, but, but, but from skin color to socioeconomic status to the, 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 the world seeming to get worse, and America has come alongside of this lately, and hating Christians. Uh, Christians are, are by far the most persecuted people group on the planet today, and statistically, I was just reading this this week, the most persecuted people group in America right now. Now, you don't hear that on CNN. There are groups that, that make money off of making sure that people hate each other, and they're pitted against each other. Um, just, to, just to jump out there, I guess, uh, guys like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton have made a living trying to make sure that people, black people and white people, hate each other. They work hard at this. We're seeing this all through our country where it's, there's, a, there's a vitriol against the rich. There's a vitriol against the Christians. There's a vitriol against um, morally uh, conservative. Now, I'm not talking politically, although that would be included, but morally conservative people. And there's this, this anger and there's this fight and there's this stuff that's going on in our country. And to me, that plays into this, uh, this seeming to be this, this uh, lack of, uh, it, it's, just like we're, it's just like there's so much anger and so much lack of peace and lack of uh, grace. And, and this seems so strong in our country, way more right now than, than any of the 30-ish years I've been alive. And so it's, uh, it, it's, it's getting... Why don't we just one week we just let that go when I say that, all right? Why don't we just go, he's, he's high again. You know, that's not that guy. So, <laughs> but there, there just seems to be so much pain and so much stuff uh, that's happening. And, and so as, we, as we're looking at what I talked about last week about pursuing Jesus, really pursuing him, not just not being passive. I, I think we've created a passive Christianity in America that's not real. It doesn't exist. We've got to pursue the Lord. We've got to go after him. And with that, there is the other side of this, which is reaching people. They go hand in hand. You really can't um, separate them. Our, our mission statement at Church of Bargate is Church of Bargate exists to enable people under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to supernaturally draw close to Jesus Christ and to bring as many others along with us as possible. This is this pursuing the Lord with everything, but then also reaching people. Uh, the idea that somehow that those can exist uh, separate from each other, I don't think is legitimate because I believe when you pursue the Lord with everything about you, you will have a, a softened heart for the lost. The more you pursue the Lord, you will have compassion and care for lost people. Why? Because that's the number one most important thing to the Lord. It is. Even though we don't think about that, and that's not the way we frame it, we'll say things like, um, you know, being friends with you is the most important thing to God. And all that. The most important thing to God is the lost. 
It is and always will be. And so the more that we pursue the Lord, the more that we will have a softened heart toward the lost. And the more that we have a softened heart toward the lost, the more that we will automatically pursue God because we need understanding, we need wisdom, we need empowerment, we need to know what to do with this compassion for the lost. You can have a deep brokenness for the lost, but but you but you got to have the Lord guiding and leading that thing and, and showing you and all this other stuff. And so, so we've got to pursue God and we've got to reach the lost. And so I want to focus in on uh, reaching the lost this morning. In Luke chapter fifteen, I, I usually talk about Luke fifteen one. That that is my scripture. I mention that regularly around here. Luke fifteen one is is what I believe is is what I consider my pastoral scripture as a pastor. Not not necessarily within my uh, personal life, but, it, but it's way up there. This is an important one there too. But as a pastor, knowing the, what my job description is, this is, uh, this is very important to me. Okay. And again, just, I, think we're all, I think we all get this, but just to say it again, my job description as a pastor is to teach people to do the stuff that God wants done, to do the things of God, to do, to do the work of the ministry is the way Scripture says that. Now, now, why do I say that? Because it's interesting how often I've heard this over the years, and I think it's probably, if we went across this room, there'd be a little bit of this mindset here, that we actually think the job of the pastor is to do the ministry, to do the stuff of, of, of the, that the church is supposed to do. That's not the job of the pastor. My job is to teach you how to do it, to develop you in how to do this. Now, as a Christian, obviously, I'm going to be one of those people doing, okay? But as a pastor, specifically, is to teach others. Now, it's interesting with this that Luke 15, 1, to me, encapsulates this, but in a roundabout way. But I'm going to explain the rest of it this morning, because I usually don't go over that. I usually just focus on verse 1. But Luke 15, 1 says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Verse 2, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. This, this to me, encapsulates not only what I believe my responsibility and my perception as a pastor is, but I also believe it teaches us greatly about ourselves, about the church, and about the lost all at the same time. The worst sinners of society wanted to know what Jesus had to say. The church got upset about it. That's exactly what happens today. The worst sinners of society really want to know what Jesus has to say but the church is not that intent on getting us to that. It, the re, here's, here's the way I can prove this. Why aren't people today interested in what the church has to say for the most part? The reason is because apparently we've deviated enough that it's not exactly the same thing Jesus was saying then. I don't think it's completely off base. I don't think we're cult or anything. I think we're trying to say what Jesus is saying, but it's not exactly the same thing. Or the statement would be true about the church, just like it was about Jesus. They were the, the worst sinners of society were intent on what the church wanted to say, but that's not what's happening. They were intent on what Jesus had to say. But the reason is, I believe that the that the loss is not deeply hungry for what the church has to say is is encapsulated in verse two. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain about this. They're, they're, Jesus is hanging out with all the sinners. Jesus is, is going where all the sinners are. He's, he, though, he seems to care about the lost more than he cares about the church. Which is true, by the way. That is a true statement. Jesus is much more concerned about the lost. I have had that statement said about me more than anything else over the years. Well, except for the fact that I... I to be arrogant. But second to that, 
which, which I'm not. I'm not arrogant, okay? I'm not. I'm a very nice guy that's really good at a lot of stuff. And so this, this is the reality of this, is I've had people say so much, as a pastor, shouldn't you care more about the church than the lost? I, I don't understand that thinking. I, I don't. What do you mean care more about the church? Aren't we all supposed to be caring for each other and stuff and doing things? And, and why? Why? So that we can reach the lost. That's the point of this. If that wasn't the point, Jesus would take us to heaven once we got saved. We would get saved and like, like, um, like you know, the blue and red pill. I can think of the, ter- the not Matrix, blue and the red pill. We get saved and we take the saved pill and then we die. Because there's no reason to stay here if it's not about reaching the lost. Okay? So with that, our heartbeat should be the same as Jesus. And our thinking should be the same as Jesus. There has to be a point where, and by the way, you, you, many of you uh, do this all the time and you exemplify this, that when you really begin to let Jesus from inside of your spirit to somebody else, they actually are interested. I just find that to be true, and many of your stories are the same thing. When you actually, honest, not tell them about church, not tell them about your theology, not tell them about all the Christian stuff, but when you really just open up your heart and you share what Jesus is doing with you to them, it's amazing how pretty much everybody's interested in that because we're all the same in this, okay? So, so with that, we continue on, and he actually explains. This is cool how Jesus does this. I, I, I love this. He does this all the time in Scripture. Somebody asks a question or something happens, and Jesus tells a story that appears to have nothing to do with what they're talking about. But when you really look at it, he's explaining the macro, amazing, insightful picture of a tiny little thing that they really didn't understand, and they didn't even know what the bigger question to ask was. So, so Luke is explaining Jesus here, and he says, Jesus is very, very popular with the, with the notorious sinners, and they want to know what he's talking about. They want to hear him talk. Not just he's a cool guy, but they want to hear what he's talking about. And then Luke says, without saying this statement, he should have put in there, in my opinion, and this is why. But they but he didn't say that. Jesus just begins to talk. So Jesus told them this story. Again, parenthetically, that explains why the worst sinners of society really want to hear what he has to say. If a man has a hundred sheep and one gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now, here's, the, here's the, the, um, a few interesting things about this. It says, the worst sinners of society wanted to know what Jesus had to say. And then Luke says, and then Jesus tells this story. Now, I've heard different people talk about how because it uses the terminology sheep, that this is talking about people that were already saved. In other words, the one that goes away um, is the prodigal kind of mentality, and Jesus will chase after one of his own that is already saved. I, I don't really believe that that's what this is talking about, and the reason is because there are many other places in Scripture where Jesus looks at everybody, saved, not saved, lost, whatever, however you want to put that, and he calls them sheep. He calls them his sheep. And, and it's, 
lost people that he's talking about. I don't think this is a prodigal, although obviously it could include that. I believe this is just somebody that's lost. God creates everybody, and he considers all of them his children. And then one of them runs away from him, and he chases after that one. And it's, and it's, it's really cool to me where he explains that, that, um, that there is a party in heaven, that they're rejoicing in heaven over this one. And then it does draw a pretty demarcating line here, and it says there's more joy in heaven over the one than over the 99. That, that that's a, this is a big deal to the Lord, that he wants to chase down those that are not serving him, those that aren't saved, those that don't know him. He wants to chase them down. And again, this seems to be the opposite way of the church looking at it today. We look at this exactly the opposite. We believe that we have church services and God is totally excited about these churches and he comes again and he parties with us and we party and we have all of this cool time and we're excited because Jesus is pumped that we're having a great church service and then we're not really doing that much about the lost or caring about the lost and it doesn't matter. And Jesus is saying, you got it exactly opposite. I want to have a party over one thing. See, this nowhere in Scripture do we see where, where heaven rejoices or parties except one thing, when people get saved. That's it. We can have the greatest church services, and I don't think these are, I don't think they're opposites. I don't think God doesn't want us to have church services. Whatever. Obviously, He does, and, and, and the Lord wants to bless us with His presence and His Spirit, but I don't think it's as high on the scale of God thinking it's cool as much as we think it's cool. When God is more concerned, Jesus is more concerned if we will just go on a Tuesday morning to our next door neighbor and tell them about him. That's way more important to God than all of our exciting church service, all the stuff that's happening, all the things that we put so much time and energy in. And we think God is having parties with us on Sunday morning, and God is wanting to have a party when somebody gets saved. Those are not the same thing. They're not the same category. And we put so much emphasis on the church and things of the church. And then we expect people to kind of get it and understand it. In other words, we care for the lost as long as they'll come here. If they'll show up at church, and, uh, and, 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 and by the way, they have to do everything just right. You know what I'm saying? They have to look a certain way. They kind of have to act a certain way. We kind of all got to do the sort of thing. The first time I ever thought about this years, years ago, I was <clears throat> doing a service in a Catholic church. And... Um, and I was the only one that didn't know what everybody was doing, right? Anybody have any background, Catholic, you know, you know what I'm talking about? If you don't, you don't have a, if you haven't been to Catholic Church, you have no idea what I'm talking about. They got a lot of things that you're supposed to know ahead of time, like the whole service. Everything is headed. In fact, look at, the, look at the seats in front of you. Look at the bottom of them. Do you see a little kneeling bench? No, you don't. I didn't know what that was. I literally didn't know what it was. I get in, I set it down, I put my feet on it. I'm like, this is the coolest. <laughs> they got little Ottomans built in all the way down the row. And then other people come in and they nail down on that thing. And I was like, I didn't know. I didn't know what this was. They stand at the same time. They all say the stuff. They do all the stuff. And here's the thing. Even though we don't have that kind of stuff going on here at Church of Burgate, we still have all of our ways of looking at stuff. And for the most part, there, there's, there is a, kind of an underground feeling sometimes for people that come in that you've got to know all this stuff. You've got to think the same. You've got to know this stuff. You've got to know the songs. You've got to know when we're supposed to do stuff. That's why one of the things we talk to our MCs about, we talk to our worship leaders about and things, is make sure we explain stuff because people don't know. 
If you want people to stand, say stand. Don't expect them to unless you tell them. Why? Because they don't know. I've even seen this with the mentality of dress, that there, there's a certain way that we're supposed to dress or not dress or whatever. That stuff drives me crazy. That I've had this happen a handful of times over the years where, where uh, different people will come in and get saved, and, and from their background, it's a little different. Okay? Let me say it this way. Let me say this this way, the right way. Um, if you go... If you go to a, a uh, strip bar, <laughs> I'm going to say bad things about you. If you go to a strip bar, there's a certain dress code within that place. Mostly, you know what I'm saying. So, so here's the thing is, if somebody from that place gets saved and starts coming to church, they may not change their dress that much. They may not. I've seen this happen. And most of the time, my experience is the church has been pretty good about this. But I've seen sometimes at, at specific times in my past where the church was not good to people like this. And they didn't know. They didn't know this is not how you're supposed to dress. That Their context and their culture had a specific dress code. And so they dressed up way more and came to church, but it was way less than what everybody was around them thinking they should be wearing. And I've, had, I've watched people be mean to people like that and pick on them. And, and certain ladies in the church kind of have, you should dress differently than this. Why don't you give them a few weeks? Tell your husband, look the other direction and give them a few weeks. Let the Holy Spirit be bigger than, than us. You know why the church got mad at Jesus? Because he was hanging out with people that dressed like that. That's, that's why they were upset at him. Because he was, they, he was hanging out with the drug dealers. He was hanging out with the prostitutes. He was hanging out with people like that. And they were crowding around him to want to know what he had to say. And they got upset about it. And he's saying, you're, you're missing this. You're missing this. I will leave the 99 and I will go to the one. I'll do it, and I'll do it every time. And Jesus gets a lot more excited about going to the one than he does coming to the 99. Right? I mean, I think we, we're supposed to kind of know that, but it gets lost on us sometimes. Mark chapter 6, verse 32. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. These are lost people, and he calls them sheep. So he began teaching them many things. As this is where we, this is where the breakdown happens with us. It begins to break down for us. Is I believe there are that I believe most of us, if not all of us, in this room have compassion for lost people. But what happens is Jesus does something about it, and oftentimes we don't. We've got to. Somewhere we've got to. He has compassion. So what does he do? He starts telling them things about God. He starts teaching them about God. There seems to be a mentality in the church world today that, that, that people that you work with don't want the same things you do. Love, grace, forgiveness, peace, purpose in life, knowing that there is a God over my life. You want those things. The people that are around you at school or at work or at the grocery store want those exact same things, but we've convinced ourselves that they don't. Because you got a few loudmouths in Hollywood or Washington that say they don't. 
And so we buy into it, and Jesus is saying, no, they do. Luke 15, 1, look, they hang out with me. They want to know directly from the source what I have to say. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about all these things. When he gets out of the boat and he sees and he has compassion and begins to teach him, what's he teaching him about? He's teaching about God's mercy and God's grace. He's also teaching him about judgment. He's teaching him about the fact that God is in charge of everything, that he made them. He created their existence. He created the planet, that he can wash them clean instantaneously. That's the things that he's telling them. And they're interested. They ran all along the shore to get there. I never understood that until I went to Israel a couple of years ago. And we went out on the, um, the sea, and we realized it's a, actually a very small lake <laughs> that uh, you can run all the way around. That's how simple it is. So there, I gave you some geography. <clears throat> so then he says, he began to teach them many things, Matthew chapter 9. Here's another thing. Let me ask you about the compassion. I'll read another part about compassion. But do, I really believe that Jesus has more compassion for lost people than he does church people. It doesn't mean he loves us less, but he has compassion for the lost more than he does church people. This is one of the things that I, that to me is just, has, is, it is who I am. And I don't, I get, sometimes I get a little feedback negatively from this, but I don't have a lot of compassion for church people. It doesn't mean that I don't love every single one of you in there. I pray for you regularly. I do all that stuff. I don't have a lot of compassion for you in a sense that I need to be there all the time for you kind of mentality. I don't think like that because I don't think Jesus thought like that. He's given us the Holy Spirit, and we're supposed to connect with each other and love each other and all that stuff. But I think at the end of the day, we're supposed to care for the lost and have compassion for the lost. It never says anywhere in the New Testament, you can look it up, Never says anywhere that Jesus had compassion for his church. It says he looks at them and he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion for them. His heart was moved and broken for them. Because why? They don't have hope. When I look across the church, and this church included, I see people with hope. I see people that know what it is to be forgiven. I see people that have been given eternal life and have been washed clean. And that we have this amazing thing that we should and could hand off to other people. But I think sometimes we spend so much time trying to do the church thing that we miss the point. And we try to do the let's get together and do church stuff. This is one of the things that we're really strongly pushing to all of our our uh, ministries in our church right now is that this we, we don't want to just get together and do church things. How many years can you do that? How many year after year after year can we just do the same church stuff? Somewhere there has to be a we got to get to the loss. In fact, some of our, our processing, our renegotiation right now with some of the things we're doing in the church is about this. Um, even even um, moving Pastor Shelby into more of an executive role is specifically to accomplish this goal. Is to say, I as pastor laying the plan out. I know what we need to do. We need to be reaching, but it, but it's not always getting all the way into the areas of the church and what's happening because of me. And so now we've got Pastor Shelby the next step in saying, let's do this. I'm not verbalizing this right, but. I've got the plan, the vision. She's going to make sure we carry it out. That's, her, that's one of her new jobs. Um, so people ask, is she still going to be leading worship? Yes, we're adding. We're, not, we're, not, we're adding, just adding more to her plate. That's all we're doing, okay? We're not, we're not making it comfortable for her. We're just adding more of her plate. So 
here's the thing is we've got to be more intentional. We've been a little bit uh, lazy about this the last year, year and a half, and we're not getting there. We've got to get there. We've got to get to the lost. We've got to get to them. Even things like the women's pop-ups, and, and we're about to start a, a men's prayer time in, in, in the next week or two. You're going to hear about this. We're very intentional about trying to connect guys together with direction of praying for their families and praying for the lost and things. Um, all, of this, all of this is fitting together into trying to say, God, we need to be who you want us to be, and we're not getting there. We're not getting there. We've got to get there. We've got to reach people. If we're not doing that, we're missing it. We're missing it. We're, we're missing it. We've got, to, we've got to reach people. Matthew 9, verse 35, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages in that area, teaching the synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom. He healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Now, he just got this in the reverse order here in the way I would process it. I would, I would put Jesus had compassion on them, so he went and taught and healed the sick and all this other stuff. But it's the same thing. He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest, ask him to send more workers into his fields. Why? Because that is what Jesus' heart beats for, is lost people. People that we come in contact with every day, our next-door neighbors, our co-workers, people in the grocery store, people at school. We come across these people. We're around them constantly all day long. So here's, here's my question for us, and this is a little bit to, to, go, to go to convict us a little bit, but to say, what, when do we feel compassion for them? When does that happen? Jesus did. And what did he do? He taught them, prayed for them. That's what he did. In fact, I had this conversation, this is 10 years ago or so, probably more, in a, in a doctoral class that I was sitting in, and, and um, <clears throat> we were talking about reaching the lost and these kind of things. And I said, yeah, and then you need to, something along the lines of, but then you pray for the sick and you expect them to get healed and that just confirms the message. And, and it was kind of like the, the, the teacher, the people talking, said, no, 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 we don't really want to muddy up the presentation of the gospel with um, talking about healing and things like that. I said, what? What do you mean muddy up the gospel? That is the gospel. How do, you, how do you muddy up the gospel saying Jesus is bigger than anything, oh, including the stuff you're going through? If you can't include that, it's not the gospel. And they said, well, what if the people don't get healed? Then they won't necessarily believe in the message of salvation. This is such our limited physicalness that this really is about us. This, this is really humanism without seeing it. What we're saying is... I can present the gospel, which is the salvation of souls, which is the biggest miracle ever possible, but I don't want to present healing because that one could be too big. That's really the way we think, except Mark 16 says, and these signs will follow. If you're really presenting the gospel, God's going to do miracles with the people you're talking about. Why? Not because of you, but because of his gospel. He wants them to go, wow, that's real. That's how simple it is. Just to say, I, I think it's real. They were talking about this. We've, I've been mentioning this a lot over the last six months or so. The number one way that Muslims are getting saved in the Muslim world right now is uh, whether they hear the gospel or not hear the gospel, but uh, visions and dreams. That's the number one way that Muslims are getting saved right now. God shows them Jesus Christ through a vision or a dream. And then they have to figure it out, or maybe they heard a little bit, or maybe they saw the Jesus movie or something. But 
God's showing supernaturally. And we're basically saying, and this is in higher echelon of academia, Pentecostal academia, is saying, well, let's not muddy the waters with the preaching of the gospel. This is so American. In our American thinking, we think apologetically when we think gospel. And they don't think like that around the rest of the world. And by the way, the average person sitting in your um, workplace doesn't think apologetic. What I mean by apologetically is A plus B equals C. If I can explain the gospel to you in a very good, thorough, scientific way, I will convince you, you will be uh, um, cognitively convinced, and then you'll accept Jesus Christ. That's the way American church has thought for a long time. I'll present the case to you. Case for Christ. I'll present to you. But, but most of the world is not concerned about whether you present the case. They want to see spiritually supernatural, and they want to feel the presence of God in their existence. And so when you say Jesus can save your soul and do all kinds of things and supernatural do this, supernatural do that, the Lord can do it. You don't have to try to convince them. Just throw it out there and let Jesus be bigger than you. Let the gospel be bigger than you. Let them feel God's presence. Let them know God's presence. The person you're sitting with at work, when they're going through a divorce, they don't need to know the, the five reasons why uh, the gospel is, is scientifically true. They need to know that Jesus can step right in the middle of their broken marriage and be the peace that goes beyond natural understanding, that he can bring purpose, that he can bring healing and restoration. That's what they need to know. And we get so caught up sometimes and think we've got to convince people. Tell them what Jesus is doing within you. Tell them the gospel that he brought to you. You'd be amazed at, at, at how he does it. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing here. And so he finishes it up by saying, now pray that the Lord of the harvest will send workers. That's, that's what, I feel like I am keep making this about the upheld, is um, this is what they're doing. They've responded. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send who? People like them. And here's another one, people like you. Pray that God will send them. I've said this before, and I know this makes people very itchy, uncomfortable when I say this. I believe that the greatest opportunity that we have in America right now is the boomer generation that is retiring and has money, time, energy, and more knowledge than any generation before it and could go all over the world to tell people about Jesus. I think it could happen. I think it should happen. Sometimes... Sometimes we're more interested in playing golf and getting a motorhome instead of saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do? It may be play golf and get a motorhome, but if we asked him, Jesus, what do you want me to do? You know how rich you can live in other countries on your American retirement? You really can't, but it sounds good. So, Second <clears throat> Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But you must not forget one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. A thousand years is like a day. The Lord really isn't slow about his promises, some people think. That, okay, let me, I have to say this every time. This is so important. This scripture has nothing to do with the timelines of creation. It doesn't. This doesn't mean that God created the earth in 7,000 years instead of seven. That's goofiness when people try to build those two. It has zero to do with God's timeline structures. What it is saying is God is not in our timelines. He's not limited to our time structures. He created our time structures. He's not in them. He designed them. 
And so this is not saying every time we have a day on this earth, it's like a thousand years to the Lord, or a thousand of our days is like one day. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm being patient. That's what he's trying to say. I'm being patient because I'm not limited to time. And because I'm not limited to time, my heart is not beating around a time structure. My heart is beating around people. That's what he's trying to say. So he says, the Lord really isn't slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. That's his heart right there. He didn't create hell for humans. He created hell for Satan, and humans are choosing to follow Satan to it. That's not what he, he didn't create hell for people. And he's doing everything he can, in fact, even delaying when he comes back so that people will not go to hell. When somebody asks you the question, this is a good scripture to use for this. It doesn't exactly answer it, but you can get there. When somebody says, how could a loving God send somebody to hell? Bring up this scripture. So you're asking the wrong question. Why hasn't he already sent them? If that's his desire, why hasn't he already done it? Why didn't he just shut this whole thing down and destroy us all? Because his heart is, he wants everybody to know him. And when you come across Christians that believe that Jesus only died for some people, the select or the elect... That's a, that's a theology in Calvinism. It's not healthy. This scripture disagrees with it 100%. Jesus wants everybody. There's no elect that he's chosen ahead of time to be saved. He wants everybody to be saved. He wants every person in America saved. He wants every person in Jordan saved. He wants every person in Europe saved. How's, he, how's it, how's it going to happen? We've got to tell them. That's how it's going to happen. He wants everybody at your school saved. So everybody at your workplace saved. Even, even that jerk that takes your food out of the refrigerator. He wants that person saved. But, but, but somewhere we've got to be moved with compassion for their soul. The Lord really isn't slow about his promise. He's patient. He wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. And that's why he is delaying this because he knows it's happening. He is also the God that created the judgment. But he's delaying it because he loves you and he loves me and he loves your, your cousin and he loves your coworker and he wants them to be saved. He wants them to. He's doing everything he can. He just needs some help from us to make this happen. So three basic things. The first one is we need to have compassion or passion for the people Jesus created. Regardless of the sin they're in, regardless of what's going on in their world, just care about their soul. Care about their soul and do the best you can to talk to them. Care more about their soul than you care about how they would fit into Church of Barricade. Okay, let's care about their soul. And I, and I think when that happens, it's going to demand for us to reprioritize our existence. I, th I think it demands that. Reportize our, our, our um, plans or ideas or goals or whatever. Somewhere there's got to be a kind of a, a, a people. I don't, I don't necessarily think you have to sell your house and move to Jordan, but I do think if you're not willing to, something's wrong with your priority system. Something's. If we're not even willing to say, God, what do you want? Well, what if God makes me... Just be willing to do what God says. God, I just want to tell somebody about you. The second thing, we need to keep the reality of judgment in our minds. It's real, 
It's going to happen, and everyone is going to stand before God someday. That is a reality, and I know that's not comfortable for us to think that way. In the church, we've worked really hard to kind of take that off the table, but it's true. There is coming judgment, and, the, and everybody's going to stand before the Lord. Everybody is. The third thing is that we need to know that we actually have life to give these people. You have life to give somebody at work. You have life to give your next-door neighbor. You have life. This isn't just a good story. This isn't just a religious context they can attach to. This is life. This is pure, purity of life. This is the most amazing. When we talk about absolutes, this is absolute truth. This is absolute love. This is absolute grace. And it's amazing. Transcendent. <clears throat> Romans chapter 13. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. You have the story within you to be able to tell somebody else. You don't have to go through a bunch of theology or last week's sermon or something else or Max Lucado's book. or what. All you have to do is tell them what Jesus has done inside of you. Tell them how he's changed you. Tell them how he's saved you. Tell them, tell them the journey that you're on. If they say, what about this? And you haven't got to that answer yet in your journey, then tell them, I don't know. But you can tell them the journey you're on and what Jesus has done for us, and, and, and including all of us. So why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> so um, I, I want to ask a couple questions. I, I did this a little differently in first service, but I, I want to I ask you a few questions because I think there's a lot of reasons why um, why we don't witness regularly. I think, I think every one of us uh, tries or attempts to witness on at least some, I would say. But I think there's seasons where you do better than other seasons, seasons when you care more than, you, than other seasons. This is one of the big things for me is I go through times when I just don't care for lost people. It's not that I don't like them, I just don't think about it. I don't care. And that's convicting. It should be convicting. Something's got to stir. And so I think sometimes we're insecure. Sometimes it's just lack of compassion. Uh, sometimes maybe um, maybe we're just too busy. I mean, there's a lot of different things. But to say, and so I want to ask you, this is for my own personal prayer time, and I don't know, maybe so that you'll be self-conscious right now. So here's the, here's the question. If, if you're in a season where you're not witnessing to somebody, what's the reason? Is it, is it because of insecurities? If that's you, raise your hand. You're saying, yeah, I just... I don't think I'm good at this. Or anybody? Do we have to close our eyes for you to do this? <laughs> Insecurities. Yeah. Um, what about just lack of compassion? You can tell in your heart. You just you're not you're not. There's it's just not there. You're not feeling it. I, I go through those times regularly, and I come back to the Lord. Lord, forgive me. I want to I want to care about my neighbor. How many of you are saying maybe that's where I am with it? Just lack of deep, you know, just brokenness for the lost. Uh, what about just the, the routine of life, busyness of life, just keeps you from doing that? Anybody? Okay. I, I think there's all kinds of reasons, guys. Here's the thing. You've got life within you. You've got life within you. you just got to push that to the surface and say, Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Okay, God, we ask you to help us. Jesus, I pray for us as, as Church of Berge as a body. Lord, I want to be a church that's pursuing you.
reaching the people you created. Lord, help us to be a church that is moved and broken and cares for the lost. Lord, so now we pray for us individually. Lord, I want to be somebody that cares for the lost. God, my, my schedule gets so busy sometimes, and I get, I get so busy doing church stuff that I forget to tell somebody about you. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. Every one of us in here, Lord, when we get too busy, God, just forgive us. Help us to, to, to step up and just recognize it and, and to step up and just do what you've asked us to do. Lord God, if there's anybody in here struggling with insecurities with this, Lord, let them know right now that the story that they need to tell is already within them. That they have the story. It's their story, so it can't be wrong or right. God, it's about you, so it is right. Lord, they've got the knowledge, they've got the ability. Lord, help them to step out there and to tell somebody about you. In the name of Jesus. Lord, help us to talk about you. When we have compassion, help us to talk about you. When we're broken for our coworkers, help us to talk about you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, and make us, as Church of Bergen, make us a place that reaches people. In Jesus' name. So you're going to have an opportunity sometime this week. I've been praying this for myself, I'm saying. I'm praying, God, I'm going to talk to somebody about you this week. I'm going to talk to somebody about you this week. I'm going to do this. Do the same thing. Just set a goal. God, I'm going to do this. You probably already had that person in your head. You probably already know who it is. And so just, just talk to God about it. God, I'm going to talk to him this week. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Holy Spirit, rise up within me with boldness. I'm going to do this. God's going to give you a chance this week. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus this week, and God will honor it in your life. It's a guarantee. So take the opportunity to get to know the apples after service.